Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, May 22nd, year of our Lord, 2023. And this is episode number 88. So, I want to apologize uh, for not doing one last week. Uh, as a matter of fact, it may even be two weeks now since I've done one, but... um these seem to be getting harder and harder to do because um my my original intent and it's still my intent uh with this podcast uh was to give an example or to show what it's like in the mind of an average christian on a week-to-week basis because we, I believe that we live this faith in our hearts and our minds. Everything's wrestled out internally and then the external follows. So it's what, what's going on inside of us and our thoughts, our motives, our desires uh, that determines our actions. And, and so that I wanted to show like on a, on a daily basis, what is it like for just you know an uneducated, you know I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm just an average Joe Christian. Um, somebody who loves the Lord, who's in the word daily, um, what, what's the thought life like? What, how does, how does a person like that, what does walking in the spirit look like for them? What, what's, what's the, um, the pattern of life like for that person? What, what does their walking out this faith look like? And, because I, I don't, I, I haven't had that, you know, the, like what originally led to the thought was, um, I feel like we don't have a whole lot of examples of the faith. Like we look to our elders and pastors, but when we see them on Sundays, uh, we're seeing them at their best and you don't see the struggles. You don't, you don't see how they actually walk this life out how they fight the battles against the persistent temptations, how they struggle against the world, how they how they fight um, their sinful lusts. You know, we don't get to see that. Or at least I don't. I, I haven't seen that. You know, and so I, I wanted to create a format where you could see here's a... And the hopes is also I wanted to encourage myself, like I'm not the only one. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one that's struggling daily. Um, hopefully people see that. And, um, so the reason this is getting harder and harder to do is because on a week to week basis, usually my, my thought life is pretty routine. You know, I, I think about the same topics on a repetitive basis. I, I think about the same sins on a repetitive basis. I go through the same struggles on a repetitive basis. And so uh, coming up with a new new material for a podcast every week is, is sometimes difficult. Um, and I, I, I want to try to not be repetitive. I want to try to not repeat something I've already talked about. Like, like, for instance, you know, my mind is constantly on the doctrines of grace, Calvinism, eschatology, um, the King James Bible. You know, these are things I think about all the time. And I can't just come on the podcast and, and repeat uh, 
things I've already discussed. It'd be pretty boring. Um, or, and this is what I was thinking about here earlier today, my thoughts usually are on my sin. I'm always thinking about my sinfulness with, with regret and sorrow and, and trying to game plan how to combat my sin and how to fight against it. And I was sitting there thinking, um, I was reading a, a book by R.C. Sproul, and, and my thoughts kind of wandered. I don't, I don't know if it was a topic he was talking about or not, but I was like, I wonder if, if that's wrong. You know, uh, why do I always think about my sinfulness? And it's because I sin so frequently, and it's so discouraging because, you know, it's like I shouldn't be like that. Um, the, we're supposed to put to death the, the deeds of the flesh. I'm supposed to be a new creation. You know, why do I sin so frequently? Why, why, why are there so many repetitive daily struggles? And so my thoughts are, are usually directed in that way. Oh yeah, that's what, what Sproul was talking about. As a man thinketh, so he is, or something along those lines, you know? And so I was like, man, if I'm always thinking about my sin, then am I disadvantaging myself? Am I um, setting myself up for failure by always thinking about this? Because the scriptures tell us to set our mind on heavenly things. Think about what's good and pure and noble and holy. And um, those thoughts are intermittent for me, you know? It's like I'm sitting there thinking man, I shouldn't have done that, and, you know, I got this thing going through my head, and, oh, man, look at that prideful thought there, and, um, oh, that disgusting, lustful thought there, and, um, and then every once in a while, it's a thought of, uh, the grace of God, or I think of a Bible verse, uh, but then I'm back to thinking about my, 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 my sin, it's, it's a, it's a sorrowful regret, um, downcast, like, woe is me, type thought process instead of having lifted up thoughts and so i was sitting there thinking like maybe i just need to redirect my thoughts and, and my actions will follow if i if i stop thinking about my sinfulness so much you know we are forgiven nothing i do catches god off guard um he, he before he saved me he knew everything i would do you know he knew all these sins i would commit he knows my heart he knows the wickedness that's in there um, so maybe I just need to think about whole, you know, holiness. I need to redirect my thoughts towards, um, the pure things and just kind of forget about, you know, we, we confess our sins when we do them and then just move on. And, you know, it's, it's, I've always thought, well, I don't want to take the grace of God, um, uh, for granted, or, you know, I don't, I don't want to abuse the grace of God by just trivializing my sin. And there's also the benefit of, of knowing the sinfulness of my heart. It, it helps me to not look down my nose at anybody else. So I, I haven't ever wanted to lose that, but it's, it's a constant struggle. You know, it's, it's, I suppose it's the same in any sort of trial of endurance if you think about like a physical endurance thing if, if you got to hold 100 pounds above your head you know and all you're thinking about is this 100 pounds you're holding up 
it, that's going to focus your mind on those trembling muscles and the weight and, and cause it to be harder. Where if you can distract your mind and think about other things, um, so, so perhaps that's the key. Um, I don't know how to do it. It would take a grace of God to do it because for 20 years I've developed the habitual pattern of thinking on my sinfulness. And the other thing Sproul was talking about, um, same general context, but he was it was a different topic. But he was he was talking about how um, to forgive yourself. You know, like if God forgives you, then it's arrogant of yourself to not forgive yourself. And dwelling on sinfulness, I, I don't think it for me. It's it's not necessarily I don't forgive myself. It's regret. It's it's you know it's it's going. Um, man, I shouldn't have done that, you know, it's, and then it's also fear, it's like, what kind of consequences is this going to bring, because we reap what we sow, and, 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 uh, God chastises those he loves, and, and sin always has a consequence, you know, the, the wages of sin is death, um, and, and the various forms of death, I, I take that to mean that sin leads to chaos, you know, it leads to destruction. It leads to, which which are like forms of death, so to speak. It it leads to negative things. Our sin will always lead to a negative. So, it, you know, when it it just it it makes it hard to record a podcast when when my thoughts I could come on here and talk about the woe is me, like oh I did this and this sin, and you know I sit and think why why do I still do this and why can't I get free of this and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's not going to do anything, any, anybody any good. But, um, yeah. So, uh, one thing that I can talk about, I, I did kind of have a unique experience. Um, I went to a new church on Sunday. Yesterday, I guess. And... It was their day to do communion. And so, you know, as, as always in most churches, I think, prior to doing communion, uh, they read over the First Corinthians verse, verses that talk about not taking the Lord's Supper um, in vain. Like, when we do communion, we're supposed to have a heart of reverence. We're supposed to be thinking about the sacrifice of Christ, you know, thinking about the crucifixion thinking about how he gave his body to save us, thinking about his blood pouring out, um, thinking about his death, you know, just thinking about the sacrifice that he gave. There's there's a somber seriousness in communion that you're supposed to have. You know, do this in remembrance of me, he said. And we're supposed to clear ourselves of all sin and, um, you know, make sure that we're taking the, the bread and the cup in a worthy manner, that we're, that we're not um, doing it with irreverence. Or, or with um, rebellion against, you know, his, his commandments. If we're in open rebellion, open sin, um, there's a threat there, too. God says, you know, a lot of people who take communion in an unworthy manner get sick and die. And um, like the pastor said, he believes that to be true, and so do I. That's what the Word of God says. I think if you take communion unworthily, you, you risk sickness and death. And he mentioned, you know, if you have uh, grievances with another brother or something like that, he was like, it's not just your sin, but think about any 
I forget how he phrased it, but it was, you know, if, if you have an issue with another brother. And so immediately something came to my mind, an issue I have with a brother. And I tested my heart. I was like, well, I don't have any bitterness. I don't have unforgiveness towards him. Um, so I think I'm safe. And so the the plate came around and I took the piece of bread and I sat there and I thought, and so usually what I'll do is when I get the bread, I immediately just go to prayer and meditation, you know, and I start thinking about the crucifixion. I, I try to picture everything that Jesus went through for me. And I couldn't. My mind was just distracted by the, the thoughts of this brother. And so I sat there and I thought, man, I don't want to take this unworthy. Perhaps this is just the spirit cautioning me that I can't take this right now. I've, I've got to work things out with this brother first. Um... So I I didn't take I I didn't I had taken the bread but I didn't eat it, and then when the the juice came around I I said no thanks, and that was the first time that had ever ever happened to me. Um, I was always impressed. I I remember reading about how George Washington uh, would never take communion. He would always leave prior to communion, and I, that always impressed me. It was like that to me that shows an honesty that shows like a self examination that says no I I'm not worthy. And, and so, um, I didn't take it and I, I hadn't reached out to this brother in a while. He's been reaching out to me, but I just, I had determined in my heart that, um, our fellowship is over. I had determined in my heart. And the reason being is there's just too many disagreements between us. We're, we're too divided on too many topics. There's, there's too many, um, biblical issues too many doctrines that we're we're in disagreement on and so i think about that verse that says you know can two walk together unless they be agreed and he he tried to point out well i think that's just the gospel you know as long as we're agreed in the gospel and i don't believe that because i think the reason we have denominations in the churches is there were issues that couldn't be agreed upon and brothers had to go their separate ways you know when infant baptism came up um there wasn't a uh uh, a space to say, hey, let's just agree to disagree. It was a no, this is a very important issue. You know, if if you're going to persist in this position, we're going to have to go our separate ways. And I think that's how, how denominations were formed. And it's kind of like that with this brother, you know, it's, it's um, and there's a personal aspect to it as well that I'll, I'll mention here in a bit, but it's, it's when there's um, distinct, severe divisions, distinctions in doctrine, um, especially, yes, we're agreed on the gospel. That's why I would say, you know, churches that, uh, do infant baptism and churches that don't, they can still be brethren. They're still part of the church of Christ. You know, the, the reformed Presbyterian church, um, is still a part of the, the Church of Christ as much as the Reformed Baptist churches or the non-denominational churches. Um, you know, there's I think there's some pretty heretical churches out there, like the, um, what is it, e Ecumenical, or the ELCA, Lutheran Church or whatever that's called. Um, their positions are heretical, so, you know, we would have to, permanently separate from them not consider them brethren um but the distinction in some of the nominations are are severe enough where where hey we can't really walk together on this because it's not something 
if, if we're not agreed on this, we, we really can't move past it because it's a big deal. But it's not the gospel. So you're not heretical. We're, we're in agreement on the gospel. You're still a brother. Um, you're just a brother that I'm going to have to love for, from a distance. We, we're, this isn't a, an issue that we can just let bygones be bygones. This is a, a, a sharp distinction here. And so for me, there, there's, there's particular doctrines that are, are vitally important to me. And they're not, you know, they're, they're what some people would call secondary or tertiary issues. Um, but for me, they're issues that I'm very zealous about. They're issues that, you know, for, for the most part of my faith, I've been focused on. They're issues that, that have a hold of my heart. They're issues that I find to be um, uh, very near and dear to me, that I'm very zealous about, that, that I love, that I that I hold firmly, that I, I believe to be 100% the truth that I cannot back down from. And so if I find somebody in disagreement on those, you know, if they're, if they're, if we're considering the gospel, the foundation, it's like a level one issue where if you disagree on the gospel, you're a heretic. Okay, and then we move beyond that and we have level two issues, which if the gospel is the foundation, these level two issues would be like pillars for me. And if we're in disagreement on those, you might not be heretical, but you, you're, you're attacking the pillars of my faith. You know, you're, that's a, a denominational type issue. I got to, you know, and if I can't persuade you and you can't persuade me, if we can't come to a commonality there has to be a separation. There has to be a division there. We, we can't walk together um, because it's not something we can move beyond. And so for me, there are these, these, these pillar issues um, that are disagreed on. You know, the level three issues, which are, you know, important issues, the, the siding and the roofing, you know, if you mess those up, you're going to have a lot of problems. Um, but, uh, you know, they can be overlooked. They they can be bypassed. And and him and I we have a lot of disagreements on those as well. And so I'm 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 I have a hard time with those issues, but I'm willing to overlook them. But the level two issues, those pillar issues, when when there's disagreement on those, it's like man, we we really don't have. How can we be unified? How can we have communion? How can we have commonality? Um, when you're in opposition to my pillar issues, you know, that, that becomes problematic. That becomes, you know, I, I can't really see us walking together. You know, yeah, you're still a brother. You're, you're not a heretic. Um, but I got to hold you at arm's distance because I feel like you're, you're doing damage to my pillars. You're, you're, you're attacking near and dear doctrines to me and so that's kind of where i was with this brother and and the thing that that adds to it is the personal aspect of it and i i told him i was like i i don't know if i'm right in this or not but i always viewed our relationship as kind of a mentor discipleship type thing um just because you know he was a babe in christ when i met him and i i felt like um the lord used me to to guide him and teach him in a lot of things i feel like i i had um kind of a big brother shepherding role in his life um in in a lot of different ways and so i i there became this real personal 
depth of friendship and kinship. There became this real, um, I don't know, just a, a deep fellowship, you know. And so when there's a when 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 the person you're mentoring or discipling or taking under your wing, however you want to phrase it, when they reject those core doctrines that you hold to, it feels very personal. It feels like an attack. It feels like a rejection of of um of you and a rejection of your teachings and um there's a hurtful personal aspect to that. Um, and then there's also uh, an internal aspect of it where it's, uh, as a, a mentor, you know, I feel like a failure and, and feel rejected and feel disrespected, so to speak. Um, you know, and I... I told him, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to self-examine as I say all these things to make sure I'm not coming at it from a position of pride. Uh, just because I am very aware of my pride. Uh, so I, I, I want to be very careful of how I say things and I want to have a clear conscience. I want to have a I want to have a pure heart in it. I don't want to be it to be tainted by pride. But ultimately, you know, I'm I'm hurt and I feel rejected. Um when the things I've taught or the things I've tried to show in that big brother way, that big, you know, come on and and come see what I see. You know, come see the glory. Come see this. You know, this is amazing. Look, look here. And then there's a rejection of that that says, nope, you're wrong. It's actually the opposite way. It's like, man, um, how does one... So when you add the personal aspect, the internal aspect, and and the attack, the pillar aspect, it's like how how does one maintain that fellowship? And that's kind of what I'm struggling with now. So I know I'm required to because the spirit wouldn't let me take communion because of this. So I know I'm not allowed to just dismiss the brother. I know that, um, and I know, it, yeah, it's, it's just a very hard thing. You know, it's, 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 I feel a responsibility as well, you know, so it's like, I don't know, and, and that's the pride part. You know, where, where I feel like it's my duty to make sure that, that you believe the right things, that you're walking in the right ways. Um, that's me trying to do the, the work of God. Um, like second Timothy two twenty five talks about how a servant of the Lord, uh, when he's talking about how, how a servant of the Lord must teach, he says to, to be patient and, um, yielding and gentle. And, and, and so I forget exactly how it says it, but, um, it talks about how a person who opposes themselves, which I, I think is, you know, going against that internal witness because I think truth I think truth enlightens internally I think we as born again people we all know the truth when we hear it there's an internal witness that that knows it and uh, but sometimes we reject it because we don't want it to be true or um, we've been taught something else or or we just there or you know, for reasons unknown, 
we oppose ourselves, we, we turn to something that isn't true, and it says that, that God has to grant them repentance. <coughs> Excuse me. God has to change their mind. And so we can't do that. But when you feel like a big brother to somebody, when you feel like a mentor to somebody, how do you just how how do you just let them go? You know, it's 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 like you want to grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, "No, that's the wrong way." You know, come this way. See, you know, look. And and they resist and they kick and they they flail and they go the other way and and it's like, you know, to just wash your hands and say, "All right, well, you know, the Lord has to open their eyes." It's like it it feels like you're giving up in a sense, you know. It's like, "No, I got to keep I got to keep fighting. I can't just let the brother go this way." I can't just let him go off into destruction. Um, I can't let him go into injury. You know, that way is a way of injury. Um, and so the the thing I'm trying to figure out is how do you do that? How a how do you just how do you say, okay, God, I did all I could do. He's gonna go that way. How do you do that? And maintain fellowship. How? You know, and I haven't figured that out. I don't know. It's it's either A, I gotta keep fighting for you, and I'm I'm gonna keep pounding home these truths, and I'm gonna keep arguing with you against uh your position, and I'm gonna keep trying to 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 force you to see the truth, or I go my separate ways and let you do what you're gonna do. I don't know what the third option is. There, there's a third option there, I think. That's the way to go, but I don't know what it is, and I don't know how to do it. How, how do I combine those things into a truth? How do I maintain fellowship? And, so to speak, be okay with their false ideologies. Yeah, it's it's I don't I don't have an answer. You know, I I don't know what to do. I, it's a hard thing to do. It's maybe it's just giving up the idea of mentorship, like like that's over. You know, no longer a big brother. You're just a a, a another sheep, just a friend, just a you know. Let him do what he's going to do. Ah, oh, but that feels, you know, there's a heartbreak in that. It's like, man, just, you know, I don't like error anywhere I see it. You know, and, and especially in, in brethren that you care about. And to just let it be, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still working through it, but. um, Yeah, so. That's what I got on that. I went to this meeting um, a while back. I'd heard about this gathering of, of Christians um, a few towns over from me. And I've been really, really desiring more fellowship. So I decided to check it out. 
And I didn't know any of these people. Um, so I, I really didn't know what I was going to be walking into. Um, no idea of denomination affiliation, where they stood theologically. For all I knew, it could have been a group of, of Jehovah Witnesses. Um, but I went, and, you know, it was just a normal little get-together. They watched a sermon and sung some songs and whatever. And so nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, but then afterwards, I was I was talking to them, and I was talking to one guy who seemed to be, um, I don't know if he, you would call him the leader of the group or whatnot, but he, he seemed to do most of the talking. And it seemed like he was kind of directing uh, the path of the group. Um, so, like I said, I, I don't know if they, they would officially call him a leader or not, well, but he, he seemed to be someone of reputation in the group. So, um, I was talking to him. And we were talking about evangelism. I was sharing with him some of the things I've done for evangelism. And he was sharing with me some of his evangelism. And he mentioned he was doing some evangelism one time. And a guy came up to him. Um, and he, he's, he made an emphasis of the guy came up smoking a cigarette. And said that he was a Christian. And and so the guy I was talking to, he, he in his story here, he's like... He challenged the cigarette smoker saying, you know, how can you say you're a Christian and yet you're still smoking that thing? And so that, that kind of set off an alarm bell in me. And then he also mentioned something about, um, I, it may have been the same conversation that he was having with the smoker guy. He was like, he, he's, he's relaying the story to me, relaying the conversation he had with the guy. And in the conversation, he asked the guy, so are you still a sinner? And the guy said, yes. And then and then he says, well, then I said to him, well, then you can't be a Christian. And so that all, that set off another alarm bell. I was like, oh, okay, I wonder if this guy's um, in the camp of sinless perfectionism. And I, I don't know if that's his individual beliefs and not the group's beliefs or what the case is. And I don't even know for sure that is his beliefs. But based on those two statements, that's kind of what I was picking up. And so I was kind of, I was just now thinking back on that and started thinking about the idea of sinless perfectionism. And basically, I, I believe it's a heresy. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what it is, it's uh, there are some, some people out there uh, that call themselves Christians. Whether or not they're born again, I don't know. That, that's, that's not for me to judge. You know, I'll, I, if, I, if I know them personally, I can look at the fruit that's coming out of their lives. Um, but when they claim to be sinless, um, I believe that's a heresy. Um, a, in 1 John, it tells us that if anyone says they're without sin, they're a liar. Um, so we have that clear, plain teaching of the scriptures. And Paul, um, late in his ministry, wrote about how he viewed himself as the chief of all sinners. So even the Apostle Paul still saw himself as a sinner. And we, we have record of... Um, some sin in the, in the scriptures, like, like Peter, you know, obviously after he's saved, this is after the day of Pentecost, um, he sinned by dishonoring the gospel, um, by separating himself from the Gentiles and Paul had to rebuke him. And we have, um, mention of a dispute between Paul and I think it was Mark and the dispute was so, um, 
prevalent or so so um i think the scriptures call it sharp the distinction between them was so sharp that they had to part and go their separate ways they had to separate from each other and we know the scriptures say that contention only comes through pride um so there was obviously a sin of pride there and we know that God does not like division amongst the brothers, um, so there was some sin there. Um, so we have those examples that that show. Obviously, the scriptures aren't; they're meant as instructions for us. So, like the apostles aren't going to sit down and and detail out their their sin life, like, oh, today I did this, this, and this, because that that was not. They're not writing a diary; they're writing an instruction manual. So we can; it's safe for us to presume that. Um, the apostles and, and the early church, just like the rest of us, struggled with sin on a regular basis. Um, there's never been a sinless saint. And so this idea of sinless perfectionism, the reason I say it's a heresy, um, if we're going to define heresy as, as an attack on the gospel, something other than the pure and true gospel, a deviation from the gospel, um, well, if you are able to attain sinless perfectionists, Perfection, perf what word am I looking for? Sinless perfection, not perfection. Sinless perfect. If you're able to obtain sinless perfection, I had a brain fart there for a second. Sorry about that. Um, then what need do you have of the mercy of God? Like you, you no longer need a savior if if you're perfect, if you're keeping the whole law. Um, you don't need the mercy of God anymore. You don't need Jesus. And so it's a, it's an attack on the gospel. We only we not only need Jesus Christ to save us at at our rebirth, that initial salvation, but we need him to continually save us. He's a mediator, the scriptures say, that he's 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 mediating between God the Father and us constantly. He's a priest, he's our high priest in heaven right now, right now at the right hand of the Father pleading on our behalf covering our sins on a daily basis. We need him on a daily basis. So anyways, I was thinking back to this conversation with that guy, and I was thinking, you know, I didn't say anything because, you know, they, they didn't know me from Adam. You know, who am I to walk up there and just start arguing and debating with people? Like, th I didn't feel it was my place. I didn't think it would bear any fruit. I, th I thought it would be kind of foolish you know, it's, I just, I don't know them. So who, who am I to come in and come in and tell them, you know, what's true and what's not and what to do and what not to do. Uh, it wasn't my place. So I just, I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything. Um, but I was thinking back and I was like, it's weird. Whenever I hear people of this train of thought, it seems like smoking is one of the things they go after pretty hardcore. And I was like, okay, it, it, the next time I hear somebody say this, I wonder if I could have the. I had a simulated conversation in my imagination of how I would conversate with somebody like that. If somebody were to come up to me and say, uh, yeah, that person's a, a smoker, you know, that's, that's a sinful behavior. My response would be, well, what sin are they committing? You know? What, what scripture are they violating? What command are they violating? Can you point out a scripture that says they're not supposed to do this? And I've heard people talk about that before, and, and I think the one they'll come to is there's a scripture that talks about how we, our, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, to, to smoke is to 
poison your body or introduce toxins to your body or you're you're poisoning the temple of the holy spirit however um what they failed to realize is the context of that verse there is talking about sexual immorality it's talking about how because the holy spirit dwells in us we're not supposed to go and join our bodies to a prostitute we're not supposed to go and commit adultery and fornication you know that you're you're using this temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in to go commit sexual perversion. Um, that That's the context there. So if a person were to try to argue that you can apply that to smoking, if they would say, well, because we are the temple, we're not supposed, you know, smoking's bad for you, so you shouldn't do that. If that's your position, um, well, then what about drinking soda? Because I would argue that the amount of sugar that's in a soda is worse for you than a cigarette. Uh, there's obesity, and obesity-related illnesses is the leading cause of death in America, I believe. Far worse than lung cancer. So, you know, if you're going to say introducing bad things into the body is a violation of that scripture, well, then excess sugar would meet that. Excess sodium, excess fat, excess cholesterol not doing enough exercise, um, you know, all sorts of things can be, can be uh, categorized. That it, You'd be hypocritical to choose one particular bad thing and say, no, it's, it's only that. If you're going to take that stance, well, then what about aspirin? What about, you know, uh, anti-inflammatories that can damage your internal organs? You know, what about... Um, fluoride in your toothpaste you know fluoride is is a toxin what about the aluminum in your deodorant um what about the chemicals in in your soaps and shampoos and laundry detergents you know all those things are bad for you as well um it it if you're going to hold to that position then you have to go all the way with it but again, the context of that verse is not referring uh, to smoking or eating sodium or, or uh, excess cholesterol or, or sodium or anything like that. The context of that verse is sexual immorality. Outside of that verse, there's nothing else a person could point to that says smoking is a sin. Smoking is something being bad for you is not the same as being sinful. There are many things that are unwise, that are uh, potentially bad for your health, but they're not sinful. There's a liberty there. There's, there's, you know, it's, it's bad for you to not brush your teeth or floss on a regular basis, but it's not sinful. It's, it's bad for you um, to uh, not get 30 minutes of cardio several times a week. Uh, it, but it's not sinful to not do that. And it's the same thing with smoking. People, people like to, to point at that and pick on that particular uh, vice and say, oh, that, that, that's wicked. That's, a Christian shouldn't be doing that. And unfortunately, because of that attitude, a lot of people probably suffer from, from guilt and condemnation that shouldn't be there. They should have liberty. Um, I, I would say that if a Christian is a smoker, they, they've got... Um, uh, this this unnecessary weight on them, this obligation to a they're gonna have to to keep it private 
because knowing that it is a stumbling block for some, um, they're going to have to 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 hide that from the church body as a whole. Um, and then B, the the condemnation that comes, you know, the people are going to constantly be in, shamed and feel guilty and think to themselves, you know, am I wicked? Am I doing something bad? Um, but anyways, uh, this wasn't about smoking. This is about sinless perfectionism. So then um, I would want to point out to this person, do you, do you not... See, I think the problem with sinless perfectionists is they don't understand the depths of sin. They don't understand, like, how any reasoning person, how anybody who is self-examining on a daily basis can think that they are sinless is asinine. It's insane. It's it's a l complete lack of self-awareness. If you're aware of your own heart, if you're constant, if you examine yourself, think through your motives, think through your desires, you are always going to find pride and lust and greed and anger and selfishness. You're going to find all sorts of sin at the root of your actions. And beyond that, you know, um, I've heard, uh, I think, uh, Pastor Paul Washer talk about how the greatest commandment states that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Is there any solitary second in all of life where you have loved God as you ought to? You've loved him with everything you have, all your strength. Maybe, maybe some people could say, yeah, there's been moments where I've been in that sort of rapture and I've been in that sort of bliss where I've just been in pure worship uh, but do you maintain that at all times? Because if you fail to do that at any point, you're in violation of the greatest commandment. We we all violate the greatest commandment uh, all the time. We we are guilty of that. That is sin. That makes us sinners. Um, or just you know looking looking at the pride that is is rooted in human nature. Um, I was just having a conversation with a with some of my brothers about competition, and how I I don't I can't see a distinction between competition and pride. I think they're synonymous. I think that underlying a competitive drive is pride. A desire to win to me is is that that branches out from pride. They were trying to argue how there can be pure forms, and and perhaps I'll talk about that at some other time, but. Um, and I don't know what the truth is on that matter. All I know is when I look in my own heart and I look at my competitive nature, I see pride. And um, in all things, even as I'm recording this podcast, there, there's, there's pride under underlying it. Like, who am I to think that I can record a podcast, that I, I can influence other people or speak to other people with some semblance of authority or knowledge? You know, that's arrogance. It's pride. There's pride in it. You know, everything I do is tainted with some sort of sin. Um, I've heard Pastor John Piper talk about how uh, the scriptures say that we are supposed to do everything to the glory of God. And so if we don't consciously do something to his glory, it becomes sin. He, he equates it to uh, uh, drinking orange juice. He says, if you take a cup of orange juice and you're not doing it to the glory of God, it is sin. You know, if you're not consciously worshiping God with that drink and think about all the monotonous, mundane things you do, you know, whenever we brush our teeth, are we glorifying God in that 
or are we just vainly doing it, you know, with just empty minds? You go about your day. So every time we do something without giving God the glory in it, or there's a scripture that says whatever is not of faith is sin. And I'm not exactly sure the meaning of that, but uh, I, I'm sure that we don't always act in faith on all things. Anytime we complain, anytime we grumble, anytime we let out an exasperated sigh, you know, that 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 is sin. Anytime um, we're depressed, um, we're not rejoicing always. You know, sin is, is saturated in our hearts. We're we're by nature sinful people, and it's it's we constantly need the grace of God. We constantly need His mercy at all moments. If God wasn't gracious and merciful, I deserve to die every second. I deserve uh, to to be just wiped out of existence because of my sin nature. So I, I we need the mediator pleading for us at all times. We need to be covered in his blood at all times. There is no sinless perfectionism. You know, I will always be stuck in this body of death um, until the day I die, and, the, and, and then I'm glorified, and then we will be free. Um, but it's just uh, such a mistaken view of things, and it's it, it creates an arrogance and a pride. It creates this... It, it, it causes, whenever you hear one of these people talk, you can perceive in their tone and their language a disdain for others, a looking down their nose at others, um, seeing themselves as somehow superior. And that is disgusting and repulsive and does so much damage to the gospel. When, when we plead with sinners to turn to Christ, we're pleading as one equal with them. You know, it, except for the grace of God, we're pleading with them as a sinner, as one who is also um, in the muck, in the mire, uh, been redeemed, been you know, and we're just trying to tell them how they can be redeemed as well. But we see ourselves as no better than them. As a matter of fact, I think every Christian, uh, if they're self-examining properly, should come to the same conclusion Paul came to and see themselves as the chief of all sinners. Because when, when that is your heart, you can never look down on the sin of anybody else. When I see myself as worse than everybody else, no matter what kind of sin a person commits, no matter what they confess to me, no matter what, they, what they're guilty of, um, I won't be shocked. I won't be disgusted. I won't look down upon them because I see myself as worse than them. You know, it's, it, And that's the proper ha heart to have. Um, for Christianity. Alright, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, as always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.